Welcome back to the Bible Tract Echoes radio broadcast. Thank you so much for listening in. We are in the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 20. We're going to dive into the Bible study very quickly today. But before we go any further, I'd like to tell you about a brand new gospel tract that the Lord's allowed us to produce very recently. I've mentioned it in weeks past, but just in case you missed that previous mention, it's called Freedom in forgiveness. I'm so glad we can enjoy the freedom that God's forgiveness gives us. So if you'd like to, you can visit BibleTracksInc.org and get this free gospel track. Now the front cover, I use this word often, but it's striking. It looks very nice. It pops out at you. It makes you wonder, what's on the inside there? Well, what's on the inside? It's the story of a friend of mine, the salvation testimony of how God changed Paul Peruki's life. He was a drunkard. He was a drug addict. He had gone through an innumerable amount of losses, both by death and otherwise. And now he's at the end of his rope. And thank God, to God be the glory, he accepted Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Go to BibleTracksInc.org and order this gospel tract, Freedom in Forgiveness, today. Now, before we go into the Bible study, I do want to share, just because it's a praise of mine, one more tract testimony, one more inmate testimony. Realize we have people contact us from behind bars so often. Many of them have received Christ as their Savior. I mentioned yesterday that just last week we had two more inmates notify us and tell us they accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But here's another note that came in. This is from Samuel. Here's what Samuel had to say. I like to listen to your program on the radio. I am so glad I get to listen to God's word and even some testimonies. Well, Samuel, it's kind of meta, but here we are. You're listening to the radio program, listening to your very own testimony from not that long ago. He asked, would you like, would you send me a sample packet of your Bible tracks? I'd like to pass out to others and my friends. I'd also, he's already done discipleship number two. Our, we have a discipleship study that we start with anyone that receives Christ as a result of our gospel tracks or by request. You can actually go to BibleTracksInc.org and order the discipleship study number one. And then we just progress through. We send these by correspondence. But he's already done number one and he's requesting as well discipleship study number two. Well, Samuel, thank you so very much. I can't tell you what it means to me that not only you're listening to this program, but also that you'd like to use our free products. We put out free gospel tracts around the world, and I guess you could say we put out a free discipleship study as well. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus Christ, if you'd like to learn more about the God of the Bible and how you can have a greater and better fellowship with him, that discipleship study might be a help to you, our listener as well. Samuel, thank you so very much. Now, turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 20. We're not going to rehash what we talked about yesterday all that much, except by way of context. 1 Kings, chapter 20. Are you there? Say, Amen. Maybe I can hear you all the way over here. 1 Samuel, chapter number 20, verse 1 says this, And Ben-Hadad 
The king of Syria gathered all his hosts together, and there were thirty and two kings with him, and horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. Now, he made the point yesterday that God's people were outnumbered, and oftentimes God's people will not have the advantage in strength of arms, in their army, in their earthly power. But thankfully, as it pertains to things eternal, not temporal, but things eternal, in regards to heaven and eternity, we win the battle in the long run. And in 1 Kings chapter 20, it's no different. God's people are behind the eight ball. They're in a bad circumstance here. Ben-Hadad has come out and he wants blood. Actually, as we are about to find out, he wants something a little different. Let's read verse number two. And he, Ben-Hadad, sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad. These messengers come and realize the regalness that they approach Ahab with, the stoicism. They represent the powerful king Ben-Hadad. Thus saith Ben-Hadad. Verse number three. Thy silver and thy gold is mine. Ben-Hadad's telling Ahab, I know that silver, that gold, it's in your lockboxes. It's in your safes right now. It's it's kind of, you know, tucked under your mattress. It's in your banks. But actually, actually, friend, it's mine. It's already mine. Realize the arrogance of that statement, the pridefulness that Ben-Hadad has in telling Ahab, what you have, your gold, your silver, it's mine. He continues on in verse 3. Thy wives and thy children, even the goodliest, are mine. Everything good you have, Ahab, your family, your wives, your children, your gold, your silver, even the goodliest. I'm not interested in, in, in the rags. I'm not interested in the refuge. I'm, a refuse. I'm not interested in the trash. I want the goodliest, and it's already mine. Now, for a manly man, for those of a more masculine nature, those for whom a statement like this would make your hackles raise, if someone walked into your home and told you, hey, Everything you have, uh, it's actually mine. For those of you that would jump out of your seat in indignation, Ahab's response will make no sense to you. He begins to grovel, to cower, to weaken immediately. Verse number four. And the king of Israel, this is Ahab, answered and said, he didn't say, what are you talking about? He didn't say, you are foolish. That is ignorant. There is no way I am just going to roll over and play dead. No, no, no. That's not what he said. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. He says, yeah, yeah, whatever you say, you can have it all. Honestly, a part of me inside cannot make sense of this 
response. Now, there's a possibility we don't understand the complete historical context, realize this, that some commentators would have us believe that there was a tribute relationship between Ahab and Ben-Hadad, meaning Ben-Hadad, because he was the big guy on the block, he was the bully. There was already a tribute relationship here where Ahab was already paying tribute to Ben-Hadad, kind of hush money, kind of protection money, if you want to use mafioso type wording. But regardless, Ben-Hadad is overstepping any tribute or tax that he might have been collecting previously, and he's coming into Ahab's front yard and kicking down the door and saying, hey, round up everything that looks good in here. You're giving it all to me. And Ahab doesn't say, uh, no, thank you. He says, yeah, sure. Can, can I go get you some bags? Can, can I go get you some boxes to help you move all of my stuff over to your place? I can't understand this response here. Well, let's look at verse number five. And the messengers came again. Ben-Hadad's not through yet. See, I want you to realize this, and this is an application point I'd like to make right here and right now in verse number five, six, and seven or so. When you give the world, when you give the devil an inch, they take a mile. You don't get to choose the consequences of your choices. You can pick the choices in life that you make, but you don't get to pick the consequences. When you spin the wheel of fortune, if you will, to look back at that old show, I guess it's still on the air. I don't, I don't watch daytime television, so I'd have no idea. But when you spin that wheel of fortune, you have no control where it ends up. Sometimes it ends on $1,000, but sometimes it ends on bankrupt. And when you play the devil's game, more often than not, you are going to end up on bankrupt. The Bible says and warns us there is pleasure in sin for a season. And so Ahab says, when Ben-Hadad's messengers come and they say, your gold, your silver, wives, children, even the goodliest, all the good stuff, it's mine. Ahab says, oh, okay, you can have it all. What happens next? Ben-Hadad isn't satisfied. Verse number five. And the messengers came again and said, thus speaketh Ben-Hadad, saying, although I have sent unto thee, saying, thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy gold, and thy wives, and thy children. Doesn't that sound like enough? You'd think that would be enough. But no, verse number six, yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time, and they shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants, and it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put it in their hand and take it away. Can I tell you, when you play games with the world, the flesh, and the devil, the prince and power of the air, or maybe with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, when you play games with that which you know is the antithesis of all that God wants you to do, when you usher in the devil and allow him to sit on your living room couch, you don't get to choose and you lose control over him rifling through your cabinets and walking into your kitchen and making himself some eggs, you don't get to choose where he stops anymore. When you give him an inch, he will and always will take a mile. And can I also say this as well? He always wants the best that you have. 
it really makes sense in a perverse kind of way. Ben Hadad, when he was offered the gold and the silver and his wives and children, all the goodliest of those, he didn't send his messengers back and say, why don't you get the refuse, the trash? Why don't you get the worst of the worst? Why don't you get the average things that Ben Hadad has in his storehouse? No, no, no. When he sent them again in verse number five and six, he said, they're going to come in. They're going to walk through with a warrantless search, and they're going to take everything that's pleasant in your eyes. It's amazing, isn't it? The devil isn't really interested in what's best for him. He just wants what's worst for you. The devil doesn't really need you to step way outside of God's will. He just wants to take away the potential of your best. Could we learn that lesson today? The next time you have a choice between giving the world the flesh, the devil, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, before you have the opportunity to give them an inch, would you consider the fact that they're never going to stop there? And as they slake their lusts on your life and take that which is most precious, they're going to go after the best. They're never going to stop there. We're going to continue on in 1 Kings 20 in the coming days. Thank you so much for listening to the Bible Tract Echoes radio broadcast. Have a great day for His glory. God bless. Thank you for joining us today for Bible Tract Echoes, a ministry of Bible Tracks Incorporated. If you would like to receive a free sample packet of all of our tracks, you can contact us by calling 309-828-6888. That's 309-828-6888. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 188, Bloomington, Illinois, 61702. A faster way to contact us is to go to our website at BibleTracksInc.org. That's BibleTracksInc.org. There you will find more information about our ministry and details on how you can support Bible Tracks Incorporated. Thanks for listening, and may the Lord richly bless you as you serve Him.